0: I'm joined by Sam Sutton-Reed. It's our first time connecting. So really appreciate you taking the time today. Absolute
1: pleasure, Jeff. I'm delighted to be here. Um, Talking to you from a Christmas evening, well, not quite
0: Christmas, but like getting up for there, um, just outside London. Awesome. So I wanna give you a little introduction to you, to all of our listeners. So Sam is a head um, of uh, revenue operations. He's actually had a number of roles at Pearson where he's been in sales sales enablement, head of revenue operations. So the, the great thing is you've done a whole tour of duty across the entire business, uh, which I think gives you a unique perspective on one knowing Pearson inside and out, but also, you know, these horizontal skill sets, like go to market sales, uh, and revenue operations. So, um, we'd love to hear a little bit of background, like how did you get into revenue operations and you know, how, how's the role prepared you for where you are today? yeah
1: um thanks jeff yeah so i I started i will take you right back if you'll indulge me to i I started in essentially an s d r role and I'm proud of that because we didn't call them that back in the day um I can't remember what my job title was, but like yeah, literally started two thousand and six had to make you know as many dials a day as I possibly could and I try and remember that because you know they're not they're not the only team that I support the sales development team but they're a really important team. Um, And, um, yeah, like, you know, rose up through the ranks of sales, did various different sales jobs, sales management, sort of fairly traditional route, I guess. And then my career took a a sort of left-hand turn, if you like, and I actually went into product. Um, And I I spent a year in product just on a secondment, um, and it was absolutely fantastic. But it was really interesting in product because I really saw the disconnect between product and sales. If you see what I mean? Like I could see it really clearly. You had these people that were very passionate about their products. They knew it inside and out, but also like had worked, they they were very deep in it, if you see what I mean. So there was a really natural move to sales enablement to kind of bridge that gap, if you like. And I, I spent three years working in sales enablement and absolutely loved it. It's a fantastic space, really enjoyed it. And I think like just my my interest, if you like, in data and insights and technology. Um, I like to say I'm a bit of a secret geek, perhaps, Um, although maybe some would say that's not much of a secret, Sam, Um, it sort of led me down the sort of revenue operations path where, you know, I started focusing more and more on on forecasting, on data, on technology and the role that was playing as we saw those massive changes coming in, which have been just sort of so prevalent for the last couple of years. Um, And yeah, so I started in revenue operations, it's about a year and a half ago now, working in a a very particular part of Pearson. So you probably know Pearson, Jeff, for like your time at what I would say university. I don't know if you would say university, you guys call it, I did grad school, I think, or college. Um, And that's a really important part of what Pearson does. But we also provide skills and um, credentials and um, assessments, you know, all the traditional things that you would associate with an education supporter like ourselves, but actually to enterprise businesses. So and what we're really seeing is a push from big enterprise businesses to really want to embrace that sort of skills agenda um, for their employees. So that's really exciting. So I work in that part and I run the RevOps team there. We're pretty small. There's uh, there's only four of us in total, including myself, and we support about 200 people. So we're pretty stretched and do all the traditional things that RevOps do. But in answer to your question, how did like, you know, what you know, how did I get, you know, how did all that journey prepare me for revenue operations? Well, I think Having like on-the-ground sales experience is massive. Like you don't have to have the sales experience, clearly. You have marketing or customer success experience or whatever. But I think having at least some um, element of on-the-ground experience is, is an important thing. I think that experience in product was really important. And then just, I spent a lot of time just teaching myself how to do techie things, if you see what I mean. like Self-taught on Salesforce, self-taught on Tableau which is maybe a bit tragic, but actually I really enjoy it. I really enjoy learning new skills. And and so all of those things, you know, have really benefited. If you like. So yeah, I love RevOps. It's a really exciting place to
0: be, as I'm sure you know. I think that's interesting. So you have a sales background and we haven't connected before. So I'll just share a little bit of my own background. But uh, someone posted on LinkedIn recently, hey, what was your first job? And I like glibly responded, you know, Cutco Knives. You know, it's this... Uh, okay this company that hires or just, you know, recruits like high schoolers and people from junior college Mm -hmm. and guess what? It's not a job. You actually pay them to get the, the sample knife set. So you're actually, you're actually paying them. And what they do is they give you the ability to take orders essentially Um, so I don't get paid anything. It's all hundred percent commission. And I remember the very first thing they did was, can you take a clipboard and write down all the names of your friends and family who might be interested in taking a look at the product who could use it. And so, yep, sure enough, wrote down a whole list of my uncles, my aunts, my friends, and just started calling them. They gave you a script and I wasn't very good at delivering the script without sight and scene. So literally reading off the script on the phone. Booking the meeting, of course, they're going to say yes because you know you're 16 years old and your friends and your family are going to help you out. So yeah, I go to their living rooms, I show them you know the cutlery set, and yeah, actually um, was able to close a couple of deals. I don't know if they really wanted the product or they were just trying to help their friend out and their family out. And from there, I exhausted your list. So your list gets completed, and you're like, well, I still want to make money for the summer. I want to go somewhere, and do something fun, um, you know, as, as a teenager. And so. Um, start cold calling. So I'm like, okay, let me just start um get asking for referrals. So getting a second or third person. So everyone that I would meet with asked them for a referral. And just that experience alone was invaluable. Just the 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 ability to go out nervous and scared and pick up the phone, and start dialing, even with friendlies, people that are gonna, you know, say yes to you, it's still nerve wracking. It's 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 almost like a performance at first and then you get comfortable with it. And then once you really uh get accustomed to it, you started cold calling. And you know, those those days for like a revenue operator who used to be in sales, you I, I forget about it sometimes, but then when someone brings up like what was your first job, you look back at that time and you're like, yeah, I used to do that too. So you have a lot more empathy for the SDRs or the sales reps that you support. And you can put yourself in their shoes just for a quick minute.
1: Absolutely. I totally agree. Like um and that I did a very arguably similar job. My my first job strangely was was actually working in education and working in schools and, and just literally calling calling schools in and around the greater manchester area in the uk which is very light it was for a very small company in a very you know specific area lots of schools to call and you know getting getting told no hundreds of times that the the most tricky thing was actually you'd call schools back in the day then and kids would answer the phone um, sometimes, so you'd like be like, you know, having like to try and, yeah, they're really tough gatekeepers. I'll tell you that much. Oh, yeah. Like, they're like, I mean, don't think they do that anymore. There's probably like, you know, reasons why those things don't happen. But yeah, it was it was hard. But actually, I think I think for me, like, the way I sort of got through it, and I had exactly the same thing that you're talking about about like the anxiety about it slightly in terms of like doing it. It's hard, and also like I, I wasn't good at following the script either. To be honest with you, but I think. For me, it it kind of, I wish we had the data tools that we had now, if you see what I mean then, but essentially we were still doing the same thing. I always say this with um, sales and engagement tools, such as, you know, your sales lofts, outreach, et cetera, things like that. We kind of were doing that back in the day, if you were organized enough, you know, you had your lists and it was all about your rhythm and being organized. Um, and, And actually that was like, I guess I got into my flow. I'm a big believer in that sort of, you know, getting into a bit of a flow state. If you like, and what you do, um, and I think that Jen you know, that, that's what I try and remember that is my role to support you know all of my people that I support now across my job.
0: market. So you talked about gaining a lot of new skills, but bootstrapping yourself, learning it in the evenings, I can resonate with that. I'm curious what you think today as a modern revenue operator, what skills are necessary to you know perform the jobs of you know, the, the new fashion of, for revenue operations? It's
1: a really, really, really good question. And I think, like, the question we should all be asking ourselves is not, like, not what skills do we need now, what skills are emerging. So the idea of emerging skills is true of any industry. So, you you know, yes, obviously, this, this podcast is focused on those sort of revenue teams and revenue operations, et cetera. But, like, if you had... You know anyone listening to this whether in product sales marketing they do something completely different jeff they just tune in because they're they're a fan of you perhaps um like you just looking at you can literally just look up what are the emerging skills in your in your market and um what's really interesting of that is that they the, the evidence supports that what they call human skills are the ones that generally are emerging and trending so what we mean by that is you know um problem solving, um, can, you know, they, they call it programming, but and that can put people off, but it's not really programming as such. It's like the ability to solve a problem through taking a step-by-step and sort of logical approach is like kind of, it doesn't quite trip off the tongue in the same way, but like that's essentially what it means. So don't be scared when it says programming or something like that. It doesn't mean you have to be, you know, um, deep in code or anything like that. It's about, it's about sequencing really. Um, I think empathy, compassion, interpersonal skills are massively important. Um, I think like what's crucial is most people I feel like I've recruited or worked with in revenue operations come with one strength, at least hopefully more, but at least one. If you say. I mean, like they're the, in, the enablement guy or they're the, you know, the coding guy, they're the, the um, you know, the, the data person. If you see what i mean and actually i think i don't think any of us can afford to be one trick ponies i think we really have to embrace that like if you're if you're passionate about enablement and you're good at that that's fantastic you know keep keep nurturing that but but go and learn how to maybe do a bit of a bit of like coding in salesforce or a bit of um you know a bit of tabloing or power bi or whatever tool you use if you see what i mean like um so those things i think are really important and then the interpersonal skills, like the character skills, I call them as well. Like, how do you develop trust? I think that's so important as a revenue operations person, be that a leader or, or any sort of member, really. You've gotta be able to develop trust. Um, and you do that, I think, through like really nurturing
0: those interpersonal relationships.
1: I think that's, that's fantastic. My view, at least. So, That'd be interesting.
0: Yeah, um, well, I think it depends on which op- which level you're operating at, right? So if you're breaking into the role and you lack the technical skills and you're going into a, an entry-level or a mid-level role and you're purely focused on the business system side of the house, then I think you should flex and develop those technical skills. So um, CRM administration, the ability to architect a tech stack with how different tools and data would flow from one to the next. And then uh, project management skills, I think, are critically important because not only do we tact- yeah. t- tackle the, yeah. the day-to-day But we're also trying to transform the business so they be able to project manage or manage a series of programs. Um, There's also the ability to size up your organization and to determine whether you can fund the project or not with with skills and time. Um, So, for example, taking on four massive migrations at the same time, well, guess what? There's going to be a whole lot of indigestion and you're probably not going to be able to process all that change all at once. So as a leader, I'm always thinking about, okay, well, what chess moves can I make throughout the year? What can I fund with my existing headcount? What can I push off into the timeline, off into the sunset? And where can I work with contractors and vendors? Um, when you're in the leadership role, the leadership role is really focused on, okay, where is the business today? Where are the, Where is the business going? Where does it want to go? What are the scenarios for us to get there? So it's more strategic in nature. And then you need the data to back that up. And so you have to be able to make sure that your data model, your governance is high so that you can run the analysis. And then you have to have those those relationships and conversations with your executive stakeholders. It's, what can we do in sales to help us reach those goals in year one, year two, year three, in marketing year one, year two, year three, internally, do we have the data model to get us there? So those are two very different types of conversations. And I think a lot of folks lump revenue operations into this monolithic role, but it depends on which level you're at. If you're starting, just starting, I would flex the technical, get comfortable. If you're starting high, and obviously relationship building, executive stakeholder management, um, program management, those become more important skills. And in fact... You may not even be technical. I think, for example, like my first sales operations yeah. job, when someone was hired above me as a vice president, I remember thinking, well, they don't nearly know enough about Salesforce administration compared to me. I should be like, move climbing up faster in my career. But you realize, okay, well, actually, these skill sets are less valued at the higher level mm-hmm. over time. It's, I've, I've
1: got several reflections on that, if you don't mind. Like, one of them is like that entry level point, I think is really interesting. But I do think that, and like I was at a, a RevOps conference recently and like I swear everyone was talking about AI. So I I, I want to be careful not to be that person, just bringing AI into the mix and immediately, if you see what I mean. But what has been really interesting is um um I've got a particularly junior member of my team. Uh, he started as an intern uh, a year ago and has sort of come through. And um, the, the way that he learns with generative AI is fascinating to watch, if you see what I mean. Like he is... His way that he's equipping himself with skills, the base level of skills that you're talking about, I think is radically changing, and he's at the forefront of that as someone who's a you know very much sort of Gen Z member. And it, this isn't about age or generation at all, if you see what I mean, because I think that's really dangerous to apply that because it can apply to all of us. But I think there's that is disruptive in a really exciting way. The other thing that goes through my head is knowing your strengths but also knowing your weaknesses. So the example I would give there is. I am I am quite action oriented. I think a lot of people in RevOps are. Um, I, you know, I, will be, I will lean towards the side of, you know, done is better than perfect. Um and and what is really crucial is having a team or people around you that compliment you and are maybe the negative of that, because I think that's really important. So having people around you who are maybe, you know, they they can Have a closer eye on the detail, perhaps, and be that sort of angel or devil, depending on how you look at it on your shoulder, if you see what I mean, and having that diversity in your team is important. And then what I love about the last thing you said is like that leadership thing. And I'm going to steal something that I heard from someone else. And I therefore want to give them credit because I don't like sort of just pretending that something is my own because I never heard of it before. But there's a guy called Johnny Fianu. Um, I'm probably pronouncing his surname wrong, um, which is really bad because I've known him for a while. Um, he works for a company called uh, vobos, and he showed me something called the RevOps Continuum that I'll maybe send you a link for, Jeff, so you can sort of include if you want um, in this. But I think it's fascinating because it, I think what you were alluding to there is maybe people are in danger of thinking of RevOps as like a linear thing, if you see what I mean. Like it's sort of like you start in here, you finish here, whereas actually he refers to it as this sort of like you know, sort of infinity loop that you go around, if you see what I mean, where you start with strategy, you look at process documentation, tools and systems, training, reporting dashboards, and then data and insight, and you sort of go back around. And the challenge he set us when he shared this with us was one of, it's really easy to miss those steps. And they don't necessarily, I don't believe, have to go in an order because you have to work out what you're coming into, but you certainly can't miss one. If you see what I mean, you have to like, you, ha- you have to make sure you're ticking off those. And I think that is the sort of thing you are talking about as a leader when you might, you know, you might be working with someone like yourself, if you see what I mean, at that point where you're thinking, well, hang on a second. I know loads more about, you know, how to run Salesforce or whatever, if you see what I mean. But like, mm-hmm. this is the stuff you have to do in the leadership roles. I think you have to think about that continuum.
0: Yeah, Johnny was actually on uh, one of our first episodes, actually. So I'm glad you no. up. Are you kidding yeah. me?
1: Oh no! Uh, you're gonna have to go listen to the catalogue. <laughs> God damn it! Like, well, Johnny and I are in a. I, I said to you when we were just before warming up that um, I set myself a New Year's resolution to appear on a podcast, and I've done two this year. And um, I'd like to say that I think Johnny was a bit envious of me appearing on one, and then he's got further ahead than me. Not that it's a competition, but yeah. Well, there you go. he's a, he's an amazing guy, and actually, like you know, it kind of links really nicely to if you are thinking about what skills you need in revenue operations, if that is the place you're in or you're thinking about getting into it, I can't speak for LA certainly, but I can speak for London and I suspect it is probably the same of other parts of the world. The revenue operations community is really open and really like friendly. I don't think it's like a typical sales community really, to be honest with you, not that I'm criticizing sales communities obviously, but it's incredible how open people are. And I think, What you'll find if you engage with your RevOps community, there's plenty of them around, um, is really varied skill sets. And I think that's actually really exciting, because it means there's not one size fits all, like there's space for lots of different people with lots of different backgrounds. And I personally find that really
0: exciting. That's exciting. I agree. So I run this newsletter, it comes out weekly, and I'm hosting uh, an event on a monthly basis uh, called the Hero Hour, the head of RevOps. And what you'll find is it can feel a little lonely at the quote unquote top because, you know, you might be one of the lone revenue operators at one business. You talk to a peer who's also doing it and you're all problem solving in some unique way. That's why we're always looking for these communities because we don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And I always always find solace in connecting with others. So I did want to change your turn your attention to one other thing. So um, I'm thinking I'm curious how you view technology and how it's changed the landscape of RevOps. We talked about AI for a brief second, but I'm also curious just in general the category of technology.
1: Yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting question. And I and I and I have been known to get on my soapbox a little bit about this because I'm passionate about it. So and it's an interesting thing because most people think of me as someone who's quite a champion of technology, and I certainly am. If you see what I mean, I think it's an incredibly powerful. Um, and I see, I've got three children, and I particularly see it sort of, it's interesting how, how they're using it and how they're leaning into it. Um, to give you a real example, um, my eldest son had to do some history homework recently, he's 12, um, and he really wanted to get Chat GPT to write it for him, which I suggested maybe wasn't a great idea. But what I did say he could do is write his essay and then ask Chat GPT for feedback. Um, and it was fascinating like how engaged he was with that process and how like it helped him build upon his ideas in a way that I think was really supportive and he yes I'm sure like we've all been 12 years old have to do our own work and probably would rather the computer just did it for us right but he actually got the fact that there was value in doing it that way and it kind of leads me on to the role of technology that I think we need to be quite mindful of especially in like sales or marketing customer success and the revenue teams so there's a notion out there that i should I should explain that at Pearson we have um part of our offer is a company called fathom or part of, part of our product is a fathom the product's called, and that really focuses on skills and AI and the role of those things in the workplace and we've seen obvious things such as there's certain industries such as you know manufacturing is a good example which are really heavily impacted by, by technology and you know there has been massive shifts in the workforce what's really interesting is sales teams in particular are very high up the sort of the next phase if you like of the impact of technology but it's not how you might think i think when you start talking about that people start going oh my god you know we're all going to lose our jobs etc or something like that it's not that actually what the data supports and suggests is that the thing we need to be most mindful of is the de-skilling of roles and de-skilling is a really interesting concept so um, I'll give you some examples just to bring it to life of like de-skilling, if, you, if you'll indulge me. So um, the obvious example is the textiles industry in like I want to say eighteenth century. The history buffs out there might uh, be like shaking their heads at this point because I'm probably getting it wrong. Yeah, but when like you know these,
0: you can think about these uh, devices yeah, exactly. that help manufacture textiles at exactly. scale. Exactly.
1: These... These things came in, they radically changed the workplace and and people you know people resisted it, people were scared of it, people lost their jobs, but actually all those people ended up working in other places right or in different ways you know um you know people needed to maintain those machines, et etc if you see what i mean so it, there was a massive shift there. The other one that's interesting is one where maybe we've pushed back on it a little bit as a society, which is um the role of a of a brister or a coffee maker if you see what i mean so you if i if I presented you, Jeff, with two cafes next door to each other and one of them had a barista making your latte or whatever it is you, you like to have, and the other one had a machine where you pushed a button, you would probably, if you're if you're a typical person, you might not be this person, but you would choose the one, even if it was more expensive, where there's a person making it. Despite the fact that, that in reality, that person is probably, you know, maybe, uh, you know, You you can't verify their training. You can't verify their skills. If you see what I mean, but you put a perceived value in the handcrafted nature of that coffee. If you see what I mean, so like that's an example where sort of the technology hasn't come in. And the final example I like to give is the 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 airline industry, specifically in the seventies, which is you know autopilots, things like that started coming in. Um, And um, what the airline industry, particularly in America, did was recognize the threat of that to the workforce, not in a sort of scary threat of like, oh my God, well these people are gonna lose their jobs. It actually was like in a, in a way of like, what if this de skills the workforce in obviously a very, very highly regulated, quite rightly so, market. So my point that I'm trying to make is, and I'm not trying to compare salespeople to airline pilots as much as some salespeople might enjoy me making that comparison, um, but we have to be careful, I think, of the skill set that salespeople have and the role technology is taking in removing that. And for me, it's about augmenting where rather than automating, but also only really augmenting those things that are really that don't don't give any value, if you like, or you don't want to leverage the skill set of the salesperson. So, an example I would give is like forecasting. I'm like I've often had sales leaders say to me, well, why do we need to give, you know, we have a, we use a system where they give up their forecasting notes, if you see what I mean. Like basically how have they got to their number essentially. And, you know, they're having to say which deals are going to contribute. And there's an, there's an element of manualness going on there. And we sure as hell could automate that. We could say, right, if your deal is this and you do that. And we do that to an extent, but I still want their opinion. Because actually, what I've got in that room, you know, we've got about a hundred salespeople. You know, there'll be huge amounts of experience there that can help me understand where we're going to get to for our forecast, which is incredibly important as it is to most companies. And and I don't want to lose that. So I think the thing that I'm really mindful of is technology—is how you protect that skill that you have in your teams. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is like. There's a whole interesting angle with AI and where we're going with that, and how companies are starting to get a little bit nervous, and also our customers that we work with getting nervous about where their data is going. And I think that's going to be really interesting to watch how that plays out. I'm sure, I'm sure you've got experience of that. But you know, at Pearson we work with a lot of big sort of financial institutions, for example, and they're very, very mindful of the, you know, the value of their data, if you see what I mean, and how that needs to be protected. And so obviously, we want to protect that for them, um, because we want to work with them and partner with them. So yeah, there's these two sort of very competing, but interesting sort of priorities that are going on that are affecting like the revenue teams.
0: So yeah, yeah I think with the AI piece, I, I view it as it's going to be a crawl, walk and run. And I'm noticing that yep. when, I, when I'm writing my SQL queries today, that it is cutting the time by a factor of two or three. And so what used to take me 60 minutes is now taking me 20 minutes um, on the the composition side of the house. Uh, You're using it on the editing and review side of the house, which is interesting. But I think at some point, these AI tools will be able to do the composition, edit, review, uh, the deployment, and the QA on the back end. So you think about where it plays a role in each one of those. And I think it for now, it's not a replacement argument. But I think that day is coming. And, you know, at some point, you know, there, there were phone operators who had a job, but now they're no longer in a job. And so, you know, people with talent and skills and ambition, they'll find other places to go, not necessarily saying we'll be replaced right away, but I do think a big piece of our role, uh, will change radically for the better because we'll be able to do four times as much with the same amount of time that we have. So, so end of the segment, as the end of the show, I have a question for you. Curious, you know, if you were to travel back in time and ask your, you know, give advice to your younger self curious what advice would you give young you know young sam
1: okay so um you are you you suggested you might ask this question and i like i think it's a really good question um so i uh, i want to give a really honest answer as well really sort of like you know honest reflection so i think at times my younger self really wanted to prove himself and did that through trying to be sort of better than anyone else if i'm if i'm being really honest and sort of like a, like at, at its worst if you like and and actually what ends up happening i think when you do that is you you just you don't end up being successful because it's not about being better than everyone else it's about being um, i'm a big fan of the idea of interdependence so the idea of when you first come into an organization you're dependent and then you become independent and people stay there. They stay in that independent state, and actually interdependence is everything. So working with people, collaborating, um, you know, helping them be successful will enable you to be successful. It's basically my you know the view I have now as a forty two year old, you know, slightly older, slightly wiser is there's plenty of success to go around if you see what I mean. And actually, it's much more rewarding when you when you do it with people. I think that the other thing I would say. And I think I've done this to be fair, but like, don't be afraid of reinvention. Like, maybe I could have done it earlier, if you see what I mean. So, that sort of idea that I said to you about I was on a very linear career path, I think um, that 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 didn't suit me. And I really don't believe it suits everyone. Like, maybe it suits some people. Now, that's great and like good for them. But like, I really enjoyed the idea of reinvention and was fortunate enough to do it from sales to product, product to sales enablement, and sales enablement to revenue operations. And, you know, I'm only 42, so hopefully there's a few more down the line, if you see what I mean. But, like, reinvention is exciting and actually um, can give you a fresh start as well, which is really fun.
0: Well, Sam, appreciate having you on. I'm curious for the listeners out there, how can they connect with you?
1: I'd be delighted to connect with anyone um, who cares to on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place to do it. Don't really, don't really do it anywhere else these days, do we? But, yeah, no, check me out on LinkedIn. Um, drop me a drop me a connection. I'm always I'm always open to connection requests. And actually, you know, go further than that as well. If you like, if you want to talk to me, ask me questions, like engage. Like um, um, I'm, you know, I often get like messages on LinkedIn and stuff from SDRs, and that's fine. They're trying to do their jobs. Uh, but you know, you get through that, and you get to me, like you
0: know, you're all good. No, but I'd love to hear from people. Absolutely. Hey Sam, appreciate you having you on, and uh, ch- I hope folks check you out.